0: Rosh Hashanah, we want to understand this yantif, engage with this yantif from a creative fresh perspective. We want more than same old, same old. The best way to reveal a novel new perspective is to go back to basics. Go back to the simplest articulation of the Yantaf and the Chumash, and ask basic questions, questions that challenge our presumptions, and with that, reveal the greater thematic meaning which will elevate our entire Yantaf. So. Believe it or not, the Chumash never calls this Yom Rosh Hashanah, or for that matter, even the term Yom Hazikaron, is rabbinic in origin. The Chumash says something else. The Chumash says Yom Teruah, a day of Teruah. That is what this day is. Now we know Teruah is one of the sounds of the shofar. Apparently the Teruah sound defines the day. And the Gemara tells us that the Teruah sound is a crying noise. After all, Uglis translates the word Teruah as Yebava, which is an Aramaic phrase for crying. So read literally, this is a day of crying. What an interesting way to describe the Yantif of Rosh Hashanah. If I would ask you, capture the day of Rosh Hashanah, I surmise you would not have characterized it as a day of crying. There might be saintly Jews who cry. You know, I think in this regard of a humorous story, which happened to my in-law, Shul, in Manhattan. There was a fellow, a tzaddik of a fellow in Shul, who was davening a long Shmona Esrei with b'chios, with crying. And one of these few-time-a-year Jews in the synagogue turns around and he says, Oh boy, that guy really must have sinned badly. He's crying. He has what to atone for. Hashanah was Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, whatever it was. So... You know that that's how the cry. There are Yidin who cry. But I would not have characterized this in a bare bones definition as a day of crying, the Torah does, which forces us to re-explore what the day of Rosh Hashanah is all about and perhaps come to a deeper understanding of what the human sensation of crying is all about. Crying is a deeply personal Experience. It captures a very, very deep human emotion. There's something there. There's something there. The Western world used to believe real men don't cry, but not anymore. Now we understand that everyone has a need to cry, man or woman alike. What is it about crying, this deep, intimate human dynamic and what does it say about Rosh Hashanah? Well first I want to note that we're onto something here. As with every detective job, the clues spring up all over the place beyond the Torah's articulation of this day as Yom True. Mm-hmm. You find references to crying when you realize this all over Rosh Hashanah, the liturgy, the Torah portion, the like. For example, on the first day of Rosh Hashanah, we read the story of chana who chana who is remembered to have a child on the day of Rosh Hashanah, and the and the Navi describes very clearly in that half Torah how chana cried, soul searing cries, to become fertile and have a baby. The Chana experience modeling all of our Rosh Hashanah experiences, that we are remembered even when we seem forgotten and forlorn, as infertile Chana felt. The notion that it's Yom HaZikar and you are remembered too finds expression in a response to her crying. And moreover, not only in the Haftorah of the first day of Rosh Hashanah, but in the Kriya of the first day of Rosh Hashanah, we have a story about Hagar and Yishmo, banished in the house of Avril, a very painful moment. right? This is the famous Call Me Ishmael story. The feeling of, of abandonment when Hagar and Yeshmal are cast into the desert. Anyway, as Yishmael is dying from dehydration, it speaks of Hashem remembering Hagar when she cries. So here we have crying not only of a Yiddish Shema Mechama, but of a human mother, Hagar, highlighted on Rosh Hashanah. This smells of something. Our bloodhound scent, as we are looking to, as sleuths, to get to the bottom of this Rosh Hashanah mystery. Our bloodhound noses are provoked. And the clues continue as we remain on this trail. Because then, when we turn from the first day of Rosh Hashanah to the second day of Rosh Hashanah, we find likewise in the Haftorah of the second day Rosh Hashanah. There is talk about another mother who yearns for children. Another mother who is actually remembered on Rosh Hashanah with regard to children. And that's Rachel. And we had in the, in the Haftorah on the second day Rosh Hashanah, Rachel mevakal baneh. So yet another Rosh Hashanah mother, highlighted in the Kriya, gives voice to her emotion through and not only in the Haftarah of the second day of Rosh Hashanah, in the Kriya as well, we can find at least midrashic hints to crime. because in the second day of Rosh Hashanah we read the story of the Akedah. And we are taught this enigmatic medrash with regard to the Akedah, a medrash which defies simple explanation, a mysterious medrash, but one which we are quite familiar with, which tells us that Yitzchak became blind at the time of the Akedah, when he was bound and tied up on top of the altar. And the angels cried, and the power of those tears blinded Yitzchak's eyes. Now certainly that medrashas with all madrashim is not to be understood as folklore on a literal level, that the acid of the tears blinded the physical vision of Yitzchak. There, there's, something, there's something conceptual being articulated, perhaps we'll have time to unravel that madrashim mystery tonight. But either way, for our purposes, simply note, crying appearing yet again. And how intriguing, how compelling, that crying is again and again what the states have And we can find some other references as well. For example, there is another story in the Chumash which is associated with Rosh Hashanah. And that's the story of Yitzias Mitzrayim, the story of B'nai Yisrael's suffering under the Egyptian whip and slave labor. And we are taught they were Hashem intervened on Rosh Hashanah to ensure that their labor would stop. Well, appropriately, B'nai Yisrael's relief finds expression in the Rosh Hashanah machzar, in the Zechronah section, and it says as follows. It says, Vayishma Hashem heard their cry. So we have yet another Rosh Hashanah cry. All of these references are generally studied in isolation, but as a whole they are coming together compellingly. Which brings me to a final reference, not a scriptural reference, but one more in the realm of Minho. Many old Machzorim in the margin cite a Masorah tradition from the AriZal, the great Kabbalist, the father of the Kabbalah that if a Jew cries in Rosh Hashanah, seemingly for no apparent reason, just spontaneously he or she is drawn to cry, as sometimes happens, happened to all of us. Well, that is a simon, that is an indication that the Neshama was judged at. And on a soul level, it kind of felt the experience. On a conscious level, the individual is unaware that they were judged. But on a soul level, the Neshama is aware that it just passed in front of the Kisiach covenant in judgment, so it cries. Well, how powerful here LP the Arizal, that the soul experiences the judgment through crying, the response to the judgment through crying. And we have entirely new meaning now where this teaching of the Arizal comes from. It's not some mysterious Kabbalistic tradition from nowhere, but I believe it's firmly scripturally based in both the original reference to Rosh Hashanah's Yom Trula, but beyond and all of these references from Chana to Rachel to Hagar to the Jews and Mitzrayim, the Akedah, and so forth. I believe this is actually the source of the Arizah. And now we're beginning to see it's not just a reference Rosh Hashanah crying. Crying is the way a Yiddish and Hashanah experiences Rosh Hashanah, and the judgment and the acceptance of Hashem's kingdom as expressed through the judgment. So now, all the more so, I want to understand what crying is all about and why it characterizes Rosh Hashanah, now that I'm firmly convinced that crying is, in fact, the grand motif of Rosh Hashanah. So why do we cry? And why do even real men cry, unlike the old Western canard that men don't cry? What does crying uh, they believed men did not cry. Macho men don't cry. That was the supposed claim, which was really to insinuate that everyone behind closed doors is not a macho man. They believed that because they, they did not really give value to crying. They saw it as something petty, something for the weak, but that's not true. Everyone cries, the strong and the mighty included, because crying is a deep, personal human experience. What is going on when we cry? Hard to characterize it, because we cry for a number of different reasons. You ask a child, why do you cry? They'll say, I cry when I'm very sad. And it is true we cry when we're sad, but not exclusively. We cry for other reasons besides sadness. We cry at times from exhilarating joy. You think about a, the, the mother of the Kalan's and the Chapa who cries. Now I have had cynics who told me she's crying because she's sad. She won't admit it. On some deep subliminal level, she's mourning empty of the nest syndrome or something like that, and old age setting in, and the next phase. Well, then I don't doubt that in the confluence of human emotions, that might figure in somewhere. But I do not, I do not believe the dominant, the overarching, the overpowering emotion is sadness. Her cry is a crying of joy. So apparently, we cry when we're joyful as well. We cry sometimes when we're afraid, when we're confused. We sometimes cry when we're simply moved. You think about you when you cry after you hear a poignant story or see a poignant presentation. I I once saw that in that yellow book, "Imponderables." Like, why do we cry at the end of a moving movie or something? I don't think it's an imponderable issue beyond understanding. I think we can really understand it. What is going on in all these cases is the person feels overwhelmed, overwhelmed by an emotion, whatever that emotion might be, happiness, joy, happiness, sadness, bewilderment, poignancy. And we're overwhelmed so powerfully that we can't quite contain what's going on here. It's larger than me. It has a gripping hold over me. When I have control over an emotion, I have a grip on it. I can suppress it, but when the emotion is so it is in response to something so large, something which is so much larger than me, I can't quite contain what's going on, I am prone to cry. That is, from an experiential perspective, what seems to me is going on when we cry. An emotion of being overwhelmed when I am encountering something just so big and so large, which might explain another thing. We take for granted that crying comes with tears, it frequently comes with tears, comes with tears. Now, tearing does not have to be linked to crying. At times we tear for entirely different reasons. The eyes tear when it it stares at something irritating, right? I have this Thursday night when my beloved wife cuts up onions. and Chavez cooking, I'm sensitive, my eyes are sensitive, to the slicing of the onion, and my eyes tear up. I'm not experiencing an emotion. I'm simply in physical duress. When you stare at, for example, a very powerful light, powerful, blazing, radiant source of light, you cry. You tear up. Then don't go cry. And the tearing up in isolation, we would explain, for physiological reasons, divorced of emotions. The eye is irritated, so Hashem created a lubricating possibility that the eye lubricates itself. The tear ducts me allow lubricating to wash away the irritation. So now I want to understand why as we delve deeper into the concept of crying, this deep human experience, why we tear up when we cry? What is the crying at have to do you know, with the eyes washing away and irritant. Now, I surmise there might be physiological explanations, but I'm not really concerned with physiological explanations. I want to understand in the, in the Neshama realm, what does the tearing eyes connote in the crying experience? I think the key is what we described before, that we cry When we are experiencing an emotion, which is so epic, so overwhelming that we can't contain it, I'm in touch with something that's larger than me itself. Every time I cry, in a sense, there is an irritant. An irritant not to my physical eye, but an irritant to, you might say, my neshama's eye. The mind, the psyche, is described as seeing things. As we see throughout the Roa Roa'ani. Roa ani devioshin. Roa ani Finds in English as well, you see, I see, as in I understand. Perception, the, the very term perception to describe an understanding. I perceive. Right? Clair- clarity of understanding is described as a reiya. Well, When I am in touch with something which is so overpowering, so overwhelming, that it floods my consciousness, my Re'ias Haneshama is irritated. So the corresponding physical light tears up as though there is an effort here to wash away the irritant. A bright, shining light is. Peering right into me. Not peering into my physical eye, but peering into my neshama eye. I am in touch with something, which is so radiant, so powerful. I can't contain this. My perception can't deal with it. It is tearing to wash it away. That is what's going on when we are crying. So now we have a resonant understanding of the experience of crying. And now when we reapproach approach Rosh Hashanah, we begin to already connect dots, because Rosh Hashanah is really all about deep perception. As Chazal famously tells us with regards to the Pesukim from the and Hashem, we've been saying throughout this period, L'david Hashem Ori, Hashem is my light, Zu Rosh Hashanah. On Rosh Hashanah, Hashem reveals himself as though a powerful light when you stare down the powerful light, you're passing in front of Hashem in judgment. If, in fact, Hashem is represented as a powerful light now, well, you tear up. and Spiritually speaking, you cry. Why so? What does this really mean, O Rizu Rosh Hashanah? Rosh Hashanah is a day when we come in contact with the deepest truths, the most Existential reality, and that is Hashem himself. The concept that my life is part of something much larger than me. There is a divine master plan as the king unfurls his grand scheme here for the coming year. I am part of this larger constellation which Hashem is arranging, my life is so much larger than anything I thought it was. My life is infused with a meaning larger than me. I am part of this greater tachlis, this greater divine scheme, ad, be a On another level, the, the heaviest issues about me are being decided. Will I live? What will the quality of my life be? Me, me, Shafel, me, Aram. It's simply the fact that I'm passing in front of Hashem and I'm in touch with my maker again. Rosh Hashanah is all about coming in contact with the most overwhelming things, ultimately Hashem himself. Arguably, we cannot live this way every day. We, cannot, we would not be able to get around our bit, get about our business and actually execute our job our mitzvah jobs, if we were really meditating and thinking about what life is all about, what my life is all about, it would be overwhelming. But, you know, because we think about the nitty-gritty every day, we think about the trees rather than the forest, the big picture, what my life is all about, we easily lose touch with it. One day a year, we need to come back in touch with what it's all about. Rosh Hashanah, the beginning of the year, we go back to the very foundation, the underlying premise of what my life is about, why I am here and where I am headed. There's Hashem. He has a purpose. He put me on the earth for a given purpose. He is assessing if I'm still mission worthy. That's heavy stuff. But don't shy away. Don't turn away from the blinding light. The blinding light's radiance is too impactful, too meaningful to ignore. You don't want to go through the year as a zombie. Living life like much of humanity. Going through the motions. Those who think that the hokey pokey is really what it's all about. Until it's too late. You want a Rosh Hashanah with all of its force, with all of its awesomeness, with all of its overwhelmingness. You want that Orizu Rosh Hashanah. Hashem is our light, as our guiding light on Rosh Hashanah, and let that light stare me down in all of its intensity. Let it sear through me. We are crying on Rosh Hashanah. We are crying. It's not sadness per se. It is a sense of being overwhelmed as I come in contact with my maker and I internalize what's going on here and who I am for that matter, and where I'm headed, it, what my life is about. I'm coming in contact with the greatest existential truths, which explains why the possek said in Rosh Hashanah and the liturgy and the Kiddush, which possek we speak about truth, Hashem is what does that have to do with Rosh Hashanah? Emes is a universal value throughout Judaism. But on one level, I suggest emes is about, coming, is about facing those unvarnished, unsugar-coated, heavy truths, such as my own mortality, such as the fact that nothing is guaranteed, such as the fact that my life is more than the hokey-pokey and all that other stuff, the MS. You are emes, Hashem. And we are becoming aware of facing down the emes, oh. laid bare. That is Rosh Hashanah. It is Yom Hazi day of remembrance, I suggest, not only in terms in the simple meaning, that Hashem is remembering us, but also that in turn we are remembering Him. We are becoming reaware of everything which we fall out of touch with. And how splendid to trace from this perspective the words of the Medrash as quoted by the Rambam, that the wake-up call of the Rosh Hashanah, of the shofar Rosh Hashanah, is supposed to tell us, Zichru Borachem, remember your Creator. Well, I believe that dovetails with the expression Yom HaZikaron itself. Connect the dots. It's a day of remembrance. Returning to truths, which I somehow find a way to ignore, to hide away from. Just as Hashem is remembering us, we in turn are remembering Him. So Rosh Hashanah is really a day of deep, deep awareness Faith sings certain truths, sings certain truths. As in, Ori, Hashem is my light. Which explains another thing. The term to describe these days, Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, Yom no Ra'im, days of awe, it has that word Yira in it. Yira as an awe. Now the word Yira Etymologically corresponds to the word "riya" as in sight, because awe is when I am in touch with something so deeply. I'm in touch with an emotion, a sensation. I'm facing it down and internalizing it. It's a true riya, as we've explained the riya tonight—that sight of the neshama. That perception of something so clearly, vividly, and deeply that it's overpowering. A clarity of truth, an internalizing of truth, which is too much for me the whole year. I need blinders on I can't see it. But a year is going on, which is really a a sight. While significant in this vein, that you will ta- find the word a sight, appearing throughout the liturgy on Rosh Hashanah. First of all, the Pasif the Gemara cites, as the source for the judgment on Rosh Hashanah is a pasuk in Safford farm aleph, Ine Hashem alukatha Hashanah. From Rosh Hashanah, from the beginning of the year, Hashem is eyeing. Hashem is eyeing. We are he's eyeing us. Likewise the Mahser says, the aim is storming, nacha, you're peering at us, he's peering at us but we are in turn peering at him. O Rizu Rosh Hashanah, he is my light. There is a powerful mutual staring down as man and maker re-encounter each other. Despite the seeming sojourn the whole year, he created us and put us on earth That first Rosh Hashanah, there seemed to be a parting of ways, certainly we seem to have gone doing our own things, certainly from our perspective, when Rosh Hashanah we are coming together again and we're staring each other down, as in we're perceiving each other, we're re-internalizing each other and connecting with each other in a very, very powerful and almost overwhelming way. Significant from this perspective that the term re'iya and yira, perception and awe, both usages you will find dotting the Akedah narrative for Rosh Hashanah. From the term harhamoria, which can be traced back to this expression ri'a, to suck so in the Akeda narrative, such as "Vayisa Avram asino, Vayaras hamakom," Avram eyed and saw the place. To the expression in the Akeda story, "Ati adati, ki yare, I know you have yirah fear. To the conclu- the concluding pasuk in the Akeda narrative, "Hashem yira yira sheyamar hayom bahar Hashem yira," it says Hashem sees, Hashem is seen. Reiya, reiya, reiya. Year, year, year of vision and awe dot the Akeda narrative and by extension the Rosh Hashanah narrative because it is a day of eyeballing, and staring down, and taking stock of powerful things which we normally want to hide away from. We are experiencing this on our end and reciprocally. Hashanah always intervenes reciprocally. As he intervenes towards us, judges us, he is as though staring us down. We have, have you ever had the experience when you lock eyes with someone and stare them down and they stare you down in a very, very intense way? Woo hoo, it's freaky. no <laughs> run days of awe, it's freaky. That is my highest, my most elevated Rosh Hashanah image. We are locking in odds with our family. It is not sadness. It is not anything negative. It is something elevated. It is an issue of clarity. Oh, it's becoming more in touch with the truth. No one really wants to think about that mortality. No one really wants to think... Even Hashem, if you meditate too much about Hashem, you lose yourself. As we see stories in the Kimara about people who meditated about the divine. This highest truth is overwhelming. It makes you cry for something. Oh, know it's confusing, and what is it? And it's bewildering. And it's, yes, stare it down. Think the uncomfortable thoughts which are not negative thoughts but uncomfortable in terms of their scope their impact their implication of the real power you know life is serious business every moment of life is contouring my eternity is shaping my eternity you know every thought the mccable tells is with me forever not just in a scharva on Hashem's response, but who I am, my shama is forever shaped by what I'm thinking, by what I'm doing. Every statement, every utterance is not something life-changing, is eternity-changing. Chayim, the very issue of Rosh Hashanah, Chayim is overwhelming. Overwhelming. But sure worth having. The weightiness of life, the power of life, is why it is so precious. A moment of life, a moment of life, which is a segue towards eternity. As you and I are conversing this moment, we're bonding this moment over Torah. Do you know something eternal is going on with each of us in this Torah exploration, and in terms of we're bonding with each other, and everything. The way I eat a supper, and the brachas I make, and the conversations I make, and the, everything, nothing is trivial. Everything is, it's Chaim going on here. The, as the Mekubalim call it, Chaim in olam Hazel is really a Mevoha is It's really a segue to the eternal life. It is a pathway to the eternal life. Chaim, the issue being determined on Rosh Hashanah, is the most impactful of all. Is the most overwhelming of all things in terms of what it really means and what its power is. And totally in a positive way, the overwhelming nature of Rosh Hashanah is not as children understand something negative, it's something powerful, it's something elevated. This is, I, I think, a deeper understanding of what Rosh Hashanah is, of the fundamental characteristic of Rosh Hashanah, from the source, from the very word as is described by the Hamish. That is how we want to be touched on Rosh Hashanah. We want to be overwhelmed. We want to be. Feel that I am coming in contact with something larger than me. And the pettiness of seeming daily life. Might be too much for me. Probably is too much for me every day. But this one formative day of the year. Setting the tone for what follows. Let me be overtake it. And this will give me an appreciation of every moment I live the next year by Jesus every breath I take of the next year, to realize how valuable and how precious it is. May we all be Zohar to a meaningful Rosh Hashanah. And a meaningful Rosh Hashanah in the sense that it will contour on shape meaning for every moment of the year which follows. Chayim is so precious. Precious because it is so powerful, serious, and overwhelming. And I wouldn't want it any other way. Chaim as Yiddish Kite perceives it, is the most dear of all, because it is the most powerful of all. It is the most noble. And all of this we come to an understanding of on Rosh Hashanah. Don't shy away, don't hide away from the Nora, from the overpowering. It's a precious sense of being overwhelmed. It's a poignant, there's a magic to the overwhelming sense of Rosh Hashanah. It is the way we in some way intuit. Our maker, our source, our life, our everything. It's too precious. The awesomeness of Rosh Hashanah is too precious. You know, we all have sensations in life, countless examples, which it's a bit discomforting. Or it's, we don't know what quite to make of it, so we shy away from the emotion. And oftentimes it's that emotion that we can't quite characterize, which has a certain richness to it, which is precious in its richness. And the spiritually sensitive person will not shy away from uncomfortable or disconcerting emotions, but will try to mine them for their meaning. Well, this is most true on Rosh Hashanah. Don't shy away from the sense of awesomeness. Don't be like the people. Don't try to drag it down and just you know focus on the apple and the honey. Or you know, don't, don't 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 try to cheapen it with petty vertlach, Or it's too precious. Face it, embrace it, absorb it, cry, not tears of sadness, tears of poignant, magical, overwhelming realization and perception of the truth and the preciousness of life and the preciousness of a a relationship to our maker. May we experience Rosh Hashanah from this loftiest and most elevated perspective, Amen. King. He. What's up? Any questions?